On the Table, Current and Critical Information for Massage Therapists in Practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Welcome everyone to On the Table, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. This is Janin Belbeck, editor of Massage Therapy Canada, and today I'm joined by special guests Janet Penny and Rebecca Sturgeon, co-authors of the text Oncology Massage, an Integrative Approach to Cancer Care. And if any of our listeners are interested in purchasing this textbook by Janet and Rebecca, please visit annexbookstore.com. Janet Penny has extensive experience working with people living with cancer in both her private practice and at an integrative cancer center in Ontario, Canada. Janet provides treatments that work with clients to rest, restore, and rehabilitate. She has developed an approach that addresses the multifaceted needs of oncology massage clients. These include focus on pre- and post-surgical treatments, scar tissue, radiation fibrosis, neuropathy, and pain within the complex context of the client's emotions that pervade and influence the body. Janet is forever amazed at the resiliency of the human body and all it goes through. Rebecca Sturgeon started her career as a massage therapist in 2008 and began working with oncology patients in 2010. She has worked in clinical and community environments, providing massage and manual lymphatic drainage. She has been a massage therapy educator for the majority of her career and currently works as the education director for Heal Well, an American-based organization which works towards the meaningful integration of massage therapy into healthcare through multiple educational offerings and interdisciplinary collaboration in a clinical setting. Welcome both to our podcast. Thanks for joining me, uh, Janet and Rebecca. Thank you so much, Janet. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So to kick things off, when I was reading your text, uh, within the first couple of pages, you write, as massage therapy becomes more integrated into healthcare, it becomes even more imperative for massage therapists to have a thorough understanding not only of their own work, but also of how that work fits into a person's overall health picture. So when we're looking through this lens of oncology massage, um, do you, why or how is massage therapy important to cancer patients? There, there are so many ways that massage can be important. Um, one of the, one of what I think is my favorite ways that massage can be important to cancer patients is that we have um, the leisure and the time and the gift of um, sort of giving back to a cancer patient, their whole self. Um, so many cancer treatments are necessarily fragmented and they have to be, to be effective, right? You have the cancer in this organ. So everything becomes about this organ or this tissue. And it, it, many patients have communicated to me, and I, I think Janet would have a similar experience, that um, having being able to come to a trained professional and be treated as an entire, a whole entire being, um, again, is uh, really important in the whole system aspect of healing. So body, mind, spirit, soul, whatever. Um, in addition to the, the very clear physiological benefits of massage, of um, adequately trained massage <laughs> for folks who are going through or have been through cancer treatment. So things like um, 
help with what we at HealWell have called uh, called like the big five uh, side effects. Um, so um, pain, fatigue, nausea, uh, depression, and the fifth one, I'm sorry, it's, it's gone out of my head, but there's like the big five side effects that are pretty much universal. Um, and massage can have a beneficial effect on each one of those. Uh, as always, Rebecca, so eloquently put, uh, if I can add just a little bit to that, one of the benefits that I think most of my clients have when they go to work with a massage therapist who understands what they've been through is that we have the language that goes with what they're feeling. So they may come in and describe that their toes feel funny or that there's like a vibration in their hands or they don't feel anything around the surgical site. And with our experience, we can help to explain why that might be happening. We can talk about the side effects of some of the biomedical cancer treatments like chemotherapy and radiation and surgery and help our clients to understand what's going on in their bodies in reaction to that and where massage can potentially help with that. And if massage can't help, which it can't with a lot of things, we can always refer them to someone else who might be able to help them more than we can. So one point that's made very apparent in your text is that massage therapy is only obviously one aspect of care for oncology patients. You mentioned there may be chemotherapy, surgery, or radiation necessary for the patient through their cancer journey. Um, how do these conventional quote unquote cancer treatments um, affect the biomechanics, muscles, and or the tissues of the patient? What should RMTs be aware of when it comes to this? Yeah, uh, our book is actually focused around, the midsection of the book is focused around biomedical cancer treatments. So we actually have a whole chapter on each of the, the most common cancer treatments, which is surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, hormone therapy, and immunotherapy. And we, what we look at is all of the side effects of those treatments, what that does to a person's body, their mind, their spirit, as much as we can explain that, how much it affects an individual. And then we look at where massage can intervene and perhaps help people with that. So an example is the global physical and psychic tension that comes from a cancer diagnosis, the worry, the fear, the incredible busyness that goes with having cancer. You have to see this professionally, you have to see that professionally, you have to go for tests. You're always waiting for something. The tension created from that, as well as waiting for a diagnosis and waiting for a treatment plan is incredible. So that translates very quickly, as we know as massage therapists, into an incredible physical tension in the body. So if a client can come in and have a restorative massage, it does them a world of good in terms of regaining a little bit of their energy, and they can then go out and deal that much better with what they have to deal with. We also see a lot of guarded postures after surgery. We see a lot of shallow breathing as people get very anxious with what they're going through. We see the side effects of chemotherapy, which is a neurotoxic, has a neurotoxic impact on the body. And it can impact people so much so that, for instance, if somebody doesn't feel their feet, that alters their gait. And it also makes them much more susceptible to falls. So there's an actual danger to some of the, the side effects of the, the biomedical cancer treatments. Radiation has a huge impact and a broad impact on tissues where they get incredibly dense and sometimes fibrosed, the lymphatic system, and of course, sur surgery with the possibility of scar adhesions once the, scar, the, once the incision has healed. 
Rebecca, what do you have to add to that? Oh, my goodness. You've, you've so <laughs> well spoken about this. Um, very little, but but I think I would add that, that um, what RMT should also be aware of, in addition to the sort of side effects that are associated with each of the conventional treatments, is that the effects of treatment and combinations of treatment are cumulative. Yes. Um, and so many cancers are treated with you know, you don't just go and have a surgery and you're done. Some, some of them are, um, but many cancers have multiple arms of treatment and possible mul multiple rounds of treatment. Um, so for example, things like a increased risk of blood clots um, that is a side effect of a surgery um, can be exponentially increased by what kind of chemotherapy or, or drug therapy someone receives for their cancer treatment. So um, just an awareness of um, that the, the side effects are not siloed, the, the, the same way that the human body is not divided into tissues that are separate. What affects the liver affects the heart, affects the brain, affects the entire being. Um, so that as well. I think one other thing too that took me a long time to really feel was the how the effects of some of the biomedical cancer treatments are immediate and some of them come weeks into the treatment and some come months or years after the treatment is complete. So how does that affect a massage therapist and the work they're doing? If you have a client who has had surgery, say on their breast or their chest, as well as radiation, the long-term impact of that can be shoulder restricted movement or restrictions in the cervical spine. And that might not show up for years until after the cancer treatment is complete. Yet if that client comes in and we're looking at them as someone who has not been through cancer treatment, we're going to assess them very differently than we will someone who has been through cancer treatment. And knowing what radiation can do to the soft tissues, we need to really factor that in even years after the treatment's complete in order to have a comprehensive picture of how much we can help that client with what they're presenting with. That's a very good point about the immediacy of, of side effects. I had posed to our readers, just, you know, it hit me with any questions you have about oncology massage. One RMT felt frustrated that they felt like they were almost on an island. They felt that um, despite being in a complimentary clinic, um, there was concern that the massage, the oncology massage was separate from these other treatments. Um, so they're wondering how they, as an RMT, can assert or emphasize that massage therapy does not need to be separate from other complementary or even conventional treatments. Well, first of all, I would say it's an absolute myth that, that it's ever separate. Um, because the, you know, the person who you are treating doesn't go and leave their cancer parts at their oncologist when they come to see you. So even if you are not in direct communication with someone's medical team, your treatment is not separate and never, never, never act like it is um, because that's where a lot of uh, potentially dangerous things can happen. Um, but I, I get the frustration behind the question. And I think this is, this is something that, that we've been doing and still, still struggle with occasionally. Um, with my organization for a while. And it's just a matter of continued um, keeping conversations open, continually open, being patient, um, it, looking for, for doors to open, reaching out to whoever is working with your person, um, your client, patient, 
whatever language you use for the person you work with. Um, and just, just know that even if you are not in communication with your face, <laughs> you know, with someone's medical team, you are in communication through the body of the person that you both work with. Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing that I struggled with throughout writing that book was the language we use to describe what we do. It's very difficult to be accurate and yet sound professional. We can talk about softening tissues, treating trigger points, that kind of thing. Um, but really using language that other healthcare professionals can listen to is an ongoing challenge. And I think it's one that befits our profession as massage therapists to really work on that so that we sound very professional. We're speaking the same language as the other healthcare professionals. And that's one of the the bigger ideas behind the book that Rebecca and I created was to use language that massage therapists can then take to their practice so that they sound like very educated healthcare professionals. Helps with them with the confidence there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we're trained in that language during our massage therapy training, or at least I wasn't. And it is something that has taken a long time to, to get a bit of a handle on. Right. And I hope that part of what we help to impart is that um, I think a big part of confidence, like appropriate confidence is, is confidently saying, I've never heard about that before. Can you tell me more? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, people like to talk about things that they know about. So that's a nice way to get, make a connection with someone. A good point. So speaking about this confidence, um, personally, I've seen many RMTs um, refer out to other massage therapists. So I was like, well, can all RMTs provide oncology massage? I mean, what do RMTs need to know to have this confidence in treating cancer patients? That's, that's another area that Rebecca and I discussed a lot. So yeah. I feel very strongly that there are sort of two aspects to working with people with cancer. One is the, the most basic one, but it's very important, and that's safety. Mm-hmm. And as massage therapists in Ontario, we're trained in working with complex medical conditions, but we're not trained in working with complex medical treatments, which is what cancer is. I don't know of any other disease treatment that's as complex as cancer treatments. So by my fantasy or my dream is that all massage therapists will have at least a basic understanding in their basic training of how to work, not not so much work with people with cancer in terms of rehabilitation or working with them over the long term, but when a client shows up in your clinic and the health history form shows a check mark beside cancer, that you know what that means. And certainly before I started working with people with cancer, I can't tell you the number of times I simply ignored that because I didn't have a clue that there was anything that I needed to know about it. So it wasn't willful ignorance. It was straight out not knowing. So I think anyone can work with someone who is going through or who has been through cancer treatment as long as they have a basic understanding of the lymphatic system, the adaptations we have to make when lymph nodes are surgically removed or have been affected by radiation, and to always work very slow and gently. For instance, when someone's had radiation, the tissues can get so dense, and anyone who works with very dense tissue, say in an athlete or that kind of thing, might jump on that tissue and work it very deeply. It's not appropriate for 
soft tissue that's been affected by radiation. So I think there are a few key points that everyone should know, and then they can work quite confidently and comfortably with someone who comes in who's been through cancer treatment. Rebecca, what's your take on that? Um, well, I, I agree um, with 98% of what you said. And I, I mean, really, the, the things that I that I um, would are not even quite disagreement have to do with my different background. You know, I'm in the US and yeah. our basic massage training is sorely lacking in ways um, that are pretty significant. Um, and one of them is in just any kind of examination of uh, disease processes. Um, a lot depends on where you are, what state, where you went to school. It, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I think that the adaptations and the information that you need to know to provide um, a safe relaxation massage for someone who is in cancer treatment or has a history of cancer treatment are um, easy enough to learn that they could be part and should, I think, be part of foundational massage education. Because as we say in the book as well, it doesn't matter whether you want to or not, you're going to have somebody on your table, in your chair, in your environment who has an experience with cancer or yes. cancer treatment. It's going to happen period, end of. And that's, so it's, it's kind of, um, I mean, I would go so far as irresponsible to never learn anything about it. Um, but I also think that, that part of, uh, at least in the U.S., at least among um, students that I've come across, that the bigger problem is not so much over-treating as under-treating. Um, because with the additional knowledge, with the additional learning, with a better understanding of the medical model and how it works and the kind of ways that you can assess what this individual body in front of you is able to handle and process. Um, you can do more than you think with training and experience. Um, and this is beyond like a relaxation massage, which is still significant. I don't wanna you know, dog on relaxation massage at all. I think that's amazingly significant. Um, but it, in order to, to treat the most effectively, I do think that some um, training and supervision in the hands-on adaptations is necessary. Um, and I, I look forward to a day when that is universal and I can stop teaching CEs about it. Here, here. I know one of the things that, that we came across when we were writing um, the introduction to biomedical cancer treatments is a, a chapter in the book where we cover things like pharmaceuticals, lotions and gels, um, positioning and duration of treatment. So their whole is sort of a general um, grab all of things that need to be considered when working with people with cancer. And one of the things we cover is the use of heat and cold, mm -hmm. which is a really common part of massage therapy. We might use heating pads or have a table heater. And anyone who's been through cancer treatments De depending on the person, of course, they might have a reduced tolerance to heat and cold. They might have a reduced perception of the heat and the cold and therefore can't feed back to you if it's too much or too little. And they also might have a reduced capacity to handle the fluid fluctuations that come with heat and cold because of um, changes in the lymphatic system due to surgery and radiation and sometimes chemotherapy. So there are some really basic things that need to be considered in order to not harm the person who has been through cancer treatment. Right. 
And speaking to that, one of our um, Instagram followers, um, you mentioned positioning there, Janet. Um, they were wondering if what the positioning concerns are for the oncology patient. Yeah, I guess it comes down to critical thinking. And with that in mind, whatever the client presents, we just need to think about what a normal massage, a typical massage would do to that person. So positioning is something that we need to consider. So if someone has just had surgery on the front of their body, on their abdomen or on their chest or their breast or on the front of their throat, then lying prone might not be such a great idea until everything is healed. So you might have to do the entire treatment with the person either side lying or lying supine. Um, we also want to look at the tissue integrity. So surgery, you know, within a few weeks after surgery, you don't want any position that puts a lot of pressure on the surgical incision. And the same with uh, any medical devices. So if somebody has a port in their chest in through which they get their chemotherapy or an ostomy bag, you don't want to have the person in a position that puts any pressure or any pull on any of those medical devices. So we take what the client presents, and that's where a really thorough health history is quite helpful because then we know what they're dealing with and we adapt based on that. Rebecca? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just so pleased that you said critical thinking. I mean, you know, because this was like... I think the whole time, every time I say it. The whole time we were writing the book, it was like, it's about critical thinking. This is a book about critical thinking. Um, because <laughs> exactly. um, it really is. I think um, sometimes what happens with folk is that they um, start thinking about cancer and cancer treatment, the person who's going through cancer treatment and get overwhelmed by it. It's easy to get overwhelmed by it. Um, speaking for myself, even though I've been you know, working in this field for a while, I get overwhelmed by it. It's a lot. Um, so you kind of, you know, um, another thing that we say sometimes is open your mind so far that your brain falls out. Um, <laughs> so just put your brain back in. And just, I think if folk will, consider the human in front of them the way that they would consider any human in front of them. Um, just with care and compassion and uh, awareness of what their body is going through. Then yeah, and the, the specific things that, that Janet was talking about um, will we'll come back to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's not so much memorizing a whole bunch of things as just as Rebecca said, taking what's presented and thinking it through and, and asking your client, is this uncomfortable? And encouraging them to be really frank with you and letting them know that the face down, face up options of massage are not the only ones because I think our clients often have that in their head. They don't know that really they could do a seated massage or they could lie on the table with a lot of pillows. So they're elevated if they have difficulty breathing that we're very creative as massage therapists and positioning people for optimal comfort and access to whatever we're trying to treat. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, taking, you know, looking at that detailed patient history is very important. And um, you did cover intake. Um, your text has devoted an entire chapter to intake. Our readers are wondering if there's like, if there were to be any main questions that RMT should always ask mm -hmm. of a uh, potential oncology patient, um, especially if they're short on time, they're worried that, you know, they don't have as much time as they want, depending on maybe where they work or yeah. other time constraints. Um, yeah, it, you should, I am a strong believer that you should ask every human being who 
who comes into your office, <laughs> have you had lymph nodes removed or in the field of radiation? Every human being, whether or not you think they have a history of cancer treatment, um, because that is kind of the key to unlock some of the major adaptations um, that need to be made for oncology massage. Um, there, there's whole, a whole chapter on the lymphatic system and lymphedema in the book, and this is also one of my one of my soapboxes. So that's, uh, I'll leave that for another <laughs> discussion, but it's very important. Um, and beyond that, a lot depends on the kind of massage that someone is coming to you for, or what their expectations are, what their goals are for this massage. But uh, the, the lymph node question all the time, every human being, I, I still do it now, even clients who have been my clients for a while, because I don't know what happened since the last time I saw them. That's a really good point. And, and sometimes too, adapting our language to what the client might have heard during their medical appointments. So I've asked clients if they've had lymph nodes removed and they don't know. And one person answered, well, I had some biopsied. Mm, and they didn't know that one or two or more had been removed in order to be biopsied. So that all those steps were not explained to them. Now, some people will go and go into their search engine and learn absolutely everything about the surgeries they're going to have. And they'll know that lots of people don't, they don't because it's overwhelming or they don't because they have health anxiety and it's too much information, but we also have to adapt our questions to their experience. So a lot of people might not know if there were lymph nodes within the radiation field, which can be very large. So we can ask them to show us where the radiation was. And if they go, let's say, above the clavicle and onto the arm and down the sternum, we know that a lot of the major lymph nodes have been impacted by the radiation. So again, adapting it to what they, the language that our clients use. Yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. So something that I actually learned, I had no idea of, um, there once was a time when cancer was considered a contraindication for massage therapy. Um, so currently, what needs to be debunked about oncology massage? And what are <laughs> that? I and love hearing that you, you didn't even know that was a thing, Jen, and that's oh, fantastic. Yes, that's so I, encouraging. I, I, yes. <laughs> that was my, I learned something new today. Um, <laughs> it ties in with a question that we had from one of our Instagram followers, and they said, what needs to be debunked about oncology massage? Right. And um, I wanted to kind of address what the gaps are in oncology and massage therapy research. Mm -hmm. it, I think the number one thing that needs to be debunked um, is that oncology massage is something less than a massage. Um, this is not, this is something that I think um, at least among the therapists that I've been in contact with, maybe it's different for you, Janet, um, that there's this, this idea that we have to take away from what we do. Um, in order to do oncology massage. Well, I can't do this and they can't be prone and I can't press really hard and I can't touch this and I can't, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I won't do the MC hammer and I can't um, <laughs> do this other thing. But I, I think that that is absolutely wrong because what oncology massage is, is an addition of skills and knowledge and compassion and training to massage therapy. So it is never, never less than a massage. It is different sometimes than the massage you might be used to getting, but it, it is definitely much more aware and attuned to your body and what it's going through. 
Yeah. That's that's a wonderful way to describe it. Yeah. And certainly there was the belief and it persists that massage can spread cancer. And it was Deborah Curdies, who's from Toronto, who really started to debunk that myth in the late 1990s. And what she did was she went and, and studied exactly all the steps of metastasis, which is where cancer cells leave a primary tumor, travel through the blood system or the lymphatic system, and take up residence in another part of the body. So if you have a breast cancer that is metastasized to the brain, it's not brain cancer, it is breast cancer metastasized to the brain. So Deborah Curtis and others who have followed her really went through each and every step and, and came to the understanding that there's no way that massage can impact each of those steps enough to contribute in any way to the spread of cancer. So that's fairly routinely debunked at this point, thankfully. Yeah, and the mechanism by which cancer starts and spreads is, you know, it's genetic and cellular. It's at levels that massage does not directly affect. As far as research, Jan, and that's a good one, you know, I actually Googled or I went into PubMed and I put in oncology massage yesterday just to see what I got. And I think I got 1,100 hits. So that's 1,100 articles of, of some quality. I didn't look at them all <laughs> that look at oncology massage. So that's extraordinary. Um, at one point in the book, I think I did a comparison of um, uh, the number of hits 10 years ago and 20 years ago. So it's been increasing every single year, which is fantastic. But massage therapy research alone isn't enough to feed what we do. We can also look at what physiotherapists are doing. We can look at uh, what acupuncturists and acupressure people are doing to understand their impact on the body. There's some really interesting articles on the effects of manual therapy on the, the secondary effects of head, neck, and throat cancer, which can be dramatically life-altering. And I think these were um, speech-language pathologists who did the research, if I'm not mistaken, but they used manual therapy. So it's our field, but in their hands. So there, there are a lot of people out there doing all kinds of very exciting research that will ultimately feed the work that we're doing. It's a very good point. Yeah. Amazing. It's very promising. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a very exciting time for this. And, you know, one thing that we always talk about, Rebecca and I, is that, the and Rebecca alluded to this earlier, that the rates of cancer, sometimes it's considered to be one in two or two in five, but rates of cancer are incredibly high. And survivorship has increased incredibly over the years because of early detection and better treatment. So the chances of any massage therapist having someone on their table who has had cancer treatment in the past, even if it's years ago, is 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, COVID, the pandemic, um, now they're saying could be an endemic, is very much still a part of our lives even two years later. What are some ways that RMTs can assure oncology clients are safe during treatment? Well, <laughs> This is going to sound so facile, but but I think it's worth stating again is is make sure that you're using you're you're like absolutely impeccable with your standard precautions and your hygiene and safety procedures. Um, I know that that what many of my colleagues discovered when the pandemic started was like, oh right, I was kind of letting that go, wasn't I? And you know, you can't let that go anymore. Um, so. It, wash your hands, kids, you know, wear the mask, um, wear your PPE. Um, I'd say keep wearing your mask even 
when COVID is done for your clients who are immunocompromised. Um, it's, I mean, I see it as a way of saying, I care about you um, and never work even a little bit wounded. Like, I don't care whether you know that's an al- that sniffle is an allergy, reschedule your client to just be really impeccable about that. Yeah, I know in Ontario that we were given very clear measures to follow. So that, in a sense, supported the massage therapist and what they're doing. Um, I was curious, though, that throughout our entire health official talk about how we can support our own health and what we need to do to enhance our immunity and the strength of our bodies. And of course, that involves nutrition and exercise and socializing and stress management and all kinds of things. So I think that um, many of my clients who were coming for massage during their cancer treatment, they were desperate during the pandemic for a place where they could feel good because so many things had been cut off from them, particularly socializing. They were lonely and isolated and really festering with everything that they were going through. So to be able to come for a massage in a place that was very careful about its hygiene and its safety measures was an incredible support for them. When should RMTs refuse treatment to a cancer patient? Is there ever such a time? I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling with the phrase refuse treatment. Um, and, and I understand the, the, the question. It's, um, it's not that. It's, so someone can always be touched. Someone who consents to be touched can always be touched. Um, I would say instead of refuse treatment, um, someone might consider um, introducing their client to someone else (laughs) if they are not trained, um, if they don't have any knowledge about oncology massage, if they're they're not confident in their ability to adapt safely. Um, if the, the client's goals require critical thinking beyond the training and scope of this individual. Um, and, and with the understanding that, that, that there, there are precious few situations where someone quote unquote, can't be touched. Um, someone who desires to be touched can be touched, cannot be touched. Um, it just with the the right um, training person, place, adaptations, it can happen. Yeah, Janet, what I agree. would you? Yeah, right up to the very end of life, if that's exactly. what it comes to. I think sometimes clients present with signs and symptoms that are medical emergencies. And of course, we don't diagnose as massage therapists, but we assess. But if somebody comes in with signs and symptoms of blood clots, or they have an infection, um, or they've let's say, a breast reconstruction, and the, the tissues are turning very dark, those are medical emergencies. And then they need to get medical help immediately, not the next day, not the next hour, but right away. So yes. I think, you know, maybe once or twice, I've had to refuse treatment for something like that. And it's never a pleasant experience. It's always tempting just to kind of ignore it and pretend it's not happening. But the impact to the client, if any of those things are real. So if a sign and symptom of a blood clot turns out to be a blood clot, that can be um, life-threatening. So that needs immediate medical attention. doesn't happen very often, though. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Janet. Thank you for, for bringing that forward. Yeah. 
So a lot with this podcast, we speak about ethics and the therapeutic relationship um, to clients. What surprised you most and what was the most interesting part of your research while writing this this chapter on the therapeutic relationship? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I'm I'm laughing because so much of my research was um, uh, uh, stories that are now funny. Um, about, you know, my work that at the time were either tragic or weird or terrifying or something. Um, yeah, humans are, we're weird, man. We're <laughs> Complex for sure. <laughs> right? And then you put us um, in, in uh, conjunction with a, a potentially deadly illness, um, with, um, tra- you know, treatment that requires a great deal of endurance and we get very, very strange. Um, what, what continues to astonish me, um, about the therapeutic relationship is that it is more about your relationship with yourself than it is about your relationship with, with anyone else. Um, you know, client, colleague, whatever. And that it is all, as um, Cal Cates says, Cal Cates, uh, who wrote the foreword to the book, says it's an inside job. This is all an inside job. Um, and if you are not doing the inner work um, on your own being, um, the therapeutic relationship is always going to be off. Yeah, I totally agree. And our clients, all of our clients, potentially but people with cancer come to us with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I learned throughout this, and I was getting into this work at the time that my kids were teenagers. So I was spending a lot of time with highs and a lot of time with lows. So I was learning at home how to be very steady, no matter what was going on. (laughs) And it's something actually that, um, that I've brought to my work with people with cancer too, because people come in and they've just been for a test And there might be something like, it looks like there's a shadow on your lung. That might be the result of the test. So that could mean that they have a little bit of scar tissue there, or it could mean that there's cancer there. So they have to live with that until they get the final diagnostic. That's a low, for sure. That's a scary, scary anticipatory anxiety time. And then there are highs where people have um, good news. You know, there's no cancer. The cancer has not spread. That's a high. But of course, highs are often followed by a bit of a crash. So I think the thing I've learned the most is to stay steady and present and not to go to the highs with my clients and not to go to the lows as well for them, but also for myself, because I have to come home and live my life and I want to have both physical and and psychic energy to do so. So staying steady, that's been my my challenge and my big learning curve. Yeah, and I would add to that the if this is um, if this serves you, having colleagues and friends um, who yeah. either do this work or are okay with you talking about doing this work. Um, I mean, really, we Janet and I had each other through the writing of this book, which was really useful. Yeah. Um, and I have my my colleague Carrie and other colleagues who I can call and be like, um, yeah, so. 
my breast cancer patient today wanted me to take a picture of an open festering wound that she needs to show her doctor. And I had to look at that today. How was your day? Um, you know, mm-hmm. to have somebody who you can just say this, because some of the things that happen are just wildly strange. Like that's really strange. Um, and to have somebody who'll be like, wow, that's, that's, that's strange and help you process it. And help you process because, you know, we're impacted by this and we do have emotions and um, we see how much our clients go through and we see how painful it is for them to experience this and how painful it is for their families as well. You know, it's not just the person with the cancer, it's everybody within their world that's affected by it. And sometimes the person with cancer actually has to manage all those people by, um, you know, trying to keep them steady and keep them from worrying too much. So it's it's a huge job that they're living with. So speaking about, um, you know, discussing your challenges and uh, discussing, you know, just your day to day with colleagues, um, you guys expanded in uh, the final chapter of your text. Um, you as authors take the opportunity to discuss oncology massage around the world. So speaking with people not only from Quebec and Mexico, but the Netherlands, um, Hong Kong as well. Um, why was this work important to highlight and uh, what was what was ultimately learned? It's a good question. I thought it would just be fun and interesting to see what was happening around the world. But what came out of it as I spoke to all those people in all those countries was that oncology massage is very well established in some countries. It's really well established in the U.S., in Australia, in the Netherlands, and in Quebec. Quebec has a really great educational program for oncology massage. And then there are other countries where it's really in its infancy and they're developing And I thought that readers who want to get into this field and want to perhaps build a little more in their area could learn from the experiences of all those people and, you know, not make the same mistakes twice, if you will, because all of them had very steep learning curves. And some of them were dealing with a medical system and a population that was absolutely against what they were trying to do. And they've still established incredible systems of oncology massage. I think one of the most interesting groups I talked to was the group from Quebec, and they were so much fun to chat with. One thing that they're really looking at, which I admired enormously, was they're looking at succession because they know that they can't do it forever. They know they want to retire at some point. So they're looking at how to pass the work they've done and the educational programs they've developed on to someone else or some other people so that it doesn't get lost when they retire. So speaking of that, um, Janet, you mentioned the the group in Quebec and uh, talking about succession. So for kind of a final wrap up question um, between the two of you, I mean, what does the future look like for oncology massage? My my ideal future is that I I mentioned this before, is that um, oncology massage, like the, the basic oncology massage information, such as what is contained in our textbook, is a part of foundational massage training universally. So everybody, like nobody gets out of massage school without knowing this. Um, and then if you want to get into things like lymphatic drainage and more involved, you can. But that everyone, that uh, cancer patients everywhere know that they can go and get a relaxing massage that will be safe, that will be attuned to their body and where their body is right now. Um, yeah. What do you think, Janet? Yeah, I 
totally agree with that 100%. I'd like to see all massage therapists everywhere have at least a really basic knowledge of um, at least things to look out for when they're working with people with cancer. I'd also love to see the medical community understand a little bit more of how incredible massage can be for people living with cancer, uh, everything from relaxation to rehabilitation. When I started doing this work, um, I almost never heard a client come in and tell me that their oncologist said, go for a massage. And now I hear it all the time that suggests that maybe the medical community is a little more aware of the potential impact and the, the benefit that massage can have. What I'd like to see is a little step further where that medical community understands that it's just not massage by anyone for anything, that it needs a little bit of nuanced care in that massage. So I would like the awareness of the larger community to be improved. I'd also like oncology massage to be accessible to more people. Because right now, it's only people pretty much who can afford it. And that's a really small part of the population. Cancer affects anybody, anywhere, from babies to old people, rich, poor, you name it. And right now, oncology massage is really restricted to those with the means. So I'd like it to see it much more accessible. Well, thank you both for joining us on uh, this podcast today. For an excerpt from their text, Oncology Massage, an Integrative Approach to Cancer Care, be sure to keep a lookout for the spring 2022 edition of Massage Therapy Canada. Sign up to our e-newsletter to be sure you never miss a new podcast episode or our latest articles. Once again, if any of our listeners are interested in purchasing this textbook by Jana and Rebecca, please visit annexbookstore.com. On the table, current and critical information for massage therapists in practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Mm-hmm.